This is a Cyclone weather alert. Ladies and gentlemen, Ray Go back to Hall after an eight-yard run. Look at him follow the quarterback. Purdy through the hole. Back in the end zone. Caught. It's touchdown. It's Charlie Corr. Welcome to a special edition Cyclone Fanatic Podcast. Chris Williams and Jared Stansberry bring you insight and analysis of Matt Campbell's Iowa State Cyclones and their, and their postseason, postseason matchups. Let's take it one time. Coverage is brought to you by Fairway Meat and Grocery, Graphite Construction Group, the DraftKings Sportsbook at Wild Rose Casino, and by the Iowa Clinic and Iowa Clinic Men's Center. And Ann Wongo across midfield. Burkett's the kicker, couldn't get him. Can Washington, he shoves him out of bounds. So Ellinger has to be quick here, able to avoid the rush, pressured, and Ellinger's brought down by Latrell Bankston. Fanatics, thanks for your support all season long. To our corporate sponsors, Patreons, readers, listeners. We couldn't do it without you. And now, please welcome your host, Chris Williams and Jared Stansberry. song by Mark Chestnut. I have not. You seriously never heard this song? No, I've never heard this song. This, this song is a classic. It's called uh, Going Through the Big D. So Mark Chestnut, a big artist in the 90s, is unfortunately he's getting a divorce. I'm going through the big D and don't mean Dallas. I can't believe what the judge had to tell us. I got the cheat. She got the palace. I'm going through the big D and don't mean Dallas. I'm going to guess that Mark Chestnut's probably the only person to ever refer to divorce as the big D. <laughs> Mark Chestnut's a classic, uh, he's a, he's a classic voice man. Welcome to the second of our two-part postseason preview podcast series. Thanks to the great Sage Rosenfels for joining us in episode number one. If you have not listened to that, you can check it out on the Cyclone Fanatic Podcast Network. We've got a jam-packed show for you today. On your Friday, it is Big 12 Championship Eve. Thanks to our friends from Landjet for getting us down to Dallas safely yesterday. They were fantastic to work with, and uh, you should check them out at Landjet.com. They they are kind of like becoming like the exclusive like Cyclone Fanatic like transport transportation mode. Like, why the hell would you want to fly in an airplane when you could do that? Well, yeah, I mean we you know we've been in here working. You were able to show me the Montreal screw job. Yeah, I'm able to drink beer. Like I, yeah, I don't it think good, it could get any better. Sipped on a little Cody Road. Yeah. Oh, uh, really good stuff. Thank you to them. Thank you to all of our presenting sponsors of our postseason coverage here with the Cyclones. We'll find out on Sunday where Iowa State is going to a bowl game. Clearly, we have to see what happens tomorrow before we know that. I want to specifically thank our friends at the Graphite Construction Group, a brand-new sponsor. We've never heard uh, them on the Cyclone Fanatic podcast before. 
there's a reason uh, they're, they've got a new name. They used to be Roshan Corporation of Iowa. That is now the Graphite Construction Group. They're just a general contractor. They do commercial buildings, retail centers, offices, schools, all kinds of great stuff. So thank you, and you can learn more at graphitegrp.com, graphitegrp.com. The DraftKings Sportsbook at Wild Rose Casino in Jefferson, phenomenal. And then, of course... The Iowa Clinic Men's Center and our friends from Fairway. Uh, Jay Jordan coming up. We are going to end this podcast with uh, some minor uh, basketball talk. Not a ton. Uh, we're, we're down here for football. Excuse me, Rob Gray will have a lot of coverage from that tonight. Jared and I will obviously be locked in on that too. Uh, but it'll be a late night with that one with an 8 o'clock tip and then an early day for us tomorrow with an 11 a.m. kickoff. So Rob's going to kind of be the man with the plan. As far as hoops go, Connor Ferguson will be at Hilton Coliseum tonight with the Iowa State women. Um, I wanted to just talk about something real quick before we get to um, Jay Jordan when we're going to go really in-depth on this football game coming up tomorrow. Sage's interview yesterday was more of an overview of – you know, how did Iowa State get here? Jay's deal today is going to be more of a breakdown of the um, the game. It's Jay doing itself. Jay things. Yes, more of a breakdown of Jay and all that good. Yeah, Jay's in-depth, you know, all that really good stuff. Anyways, um, I actually think it's just – I think it's been fascinating the last couple of days is, like, Iowa State – like, we're always so used to Iowa State being the – Little guy, yeah. Now and now, like now they're like the, the they're the big conference villain that's keeping Cincinnati and Coastal Carolina down. It's crazy, like how like what a turn of events it is. It's the funniest thing of all time. I'm I'm gonna be completely honest. I, well, I, I'm all for the group of five teams. I I support them. It doesn't sound like it. The way you just set it up, it's like a guy saying, "With all due respect," and then you take a huge dump all over somebody. Yeah, with all due respect, shut up. <laughs> <laughs> It's fair. <laughs> it's just one of those, man, this is what's making me mad about it is because it's like uh, these, I don't understand why these national media people are so like worked up about the group of five. Why? Like what, what well, is it that they, they get this, uh, you know, I don't know. I don't want to use Yeah. They, they, I, I they get, get egg playing emoji over the yeah. group of five for no reason in my mind. Yeah. I don't know. Um, the The only frustrating part to me, like, where were you guys at in August? Like, didn't you see all this happening? Like, I've been screaming for them to expand the playoff because of COVID, right? For months now. Like, we this would have been a great year to experiment. I would have loved to have seen like get all the Power Five champs in because mm-hmm. Ohio State doesn't belong. I, I'm sorry, like they didn't play enough games. Like, right. They're going to get in, and that's fine. And I understand that they could win. They're really good, whatever. They still don't belong playing that amount of games, in my opinion. Now, there's other people who will make the art, but whatever. Wouldn't this have been the perfect year to have the Power 5 champs, top group of five, and then two at large? Wouldn't this have been the perfect year to just try that out? Yes. Everybody's down in revenue. Why wouldn't you want to make more money if you're the college football playoff? And I just don't understand how someone can sit there and justify Ohio State getting in and being like, well, they passed the eye test. Yeah. And then saying, because, okay, 
Car- Coastal Carolina has played 11 games, I think it is. And they're undefeated. They won all 11 games that they've played. They, and they say, oh, because they've won all 11 games, they're not getting enough respect. Well, Ohio State's played five games. Yeah. Like, yeah. does it just mean just win all your games and then you get respect? There's, is a, that lot what of, the, there's a heck of a lot of hypocrisy there. I mean, is that the only metric that we have now? Like... I, I don't know. You you hear Nicole Arbach like go on on the thing well, with Gary Barda yeah, and she, she said yeah. she asked the question about you know Florida losing to LSU and only drops one spot. Iowa State loses to Louisiana again fourteen weeks ago or whatever it was. Yeah, and and they're a top twenty team. And is yeah a top twenty team by the way. Uh, but hey, you will not hear that when they talk about Iowa State. When they lost when they talk about Iowa State, they lost to a Sun Belt team. Coastal Carolina beat a top twenty team. Iowa State lost to a Sun Belt team, though. Mm-hmm. So it's like two diff- completely different things. Yeah, like it's, it's a positive for Coastal, but it's not a po- uh, not anything that even counts for Iowa State. Uh, but you'll hear it go on and say, but do the games even count? And it's like, what? Yeah, I mean, no, I'm with you. At this I, point, Iowa State now. Obviously, they should, obviously not because Ohio State hasn't played any. At this point, Ohio or Iowa State should just leave the Big 12 and then schedule one game a year against whoever they want. They want to know. They're undefeated. Yeah. Should be in the college football playoff. It's stupid. And I, just the thing that, like, metrics don't give you either. And I, I just think it's such – this has always been my grind against the group of five. For what it's worth, I'm probably a – I'm a sucker for the group of five because I like staying up and watching, like, the Mountain West. And it's actually some of my favorite football. Like the yeah. Sun Belt games on a Wednesday, um, Mac. I love that football because it. what I find with it, and this is why I've been a proponent, the Mac should never play on a Saturday again. They yeah. should own Tuesday and Wednesday night because nobody else is doing anything and they get our undivided attention. Right. I Those leagues have gotten that for me over the years as a football fan because when I watch Oklahoma and Texas Tech, I'm watching it in a different way. I'm watching it like an analyst. Yeah. When I'm watching BYU and Air Force, it's – I'm a fan. Yeah. So I, I've grown to really love these leagues, but the one thing that I can't get out of my mind is, and this is my same beef with Ohio State this year and why I don't think they belong, is when you play um, a 10-game, uh, a 9-game Big 12 season, compare that to a 8-game Mountain West season. Or a nine or an eight game Sunbelt season. It doesn't the grind isn't the same. Right. The the week to week just battering of your body is not the same thing compared to a Big Ten schedule or a I'm talking a normal year, not COVID. Yeah. Or an SEC schedule or a Pac twelve schedule. Um and I don't know what they can do about that. Uh, other other than the system is not conducive for them to play, but they yeah, also they have to change. They also agreed to this system, and they yeah. have six years left before that contract is up. So they they kind of did this to themselves. Although I don't know if they had any chips at the negotiating table, I I, I highly doubt that let, they did. But my point is, like Ohio State, um, don't tell me like, oh, they can't lose to XX. Look what Florida. They were a twenty-four point favorite, and yeah. they were they overlooked the team, and they got bit. You, when you only play five games and you have three games off, three days, three weeks off between every game, it's really hard to overlook a team. Yeah. It's really hard to slip up. Well, and, and let me ask you this: like it, when it comes to the Sun Belt, okay, so Louisiana beat Iowa State, Arkansas State beat Kansas State, Coastal Carolina beat Kansas. Okay, do you think Coastal Carolina goes undefeated in the Big Twelve? 
God, no. They beat Kansas. Yeah, no. So, like, don't sit here and tell me. I think Coastal would be a, uh, I think, like, Coastal would probably be this year. West Virginia. Yeah, middle of the pack Big yeah. Twelve team. Does I Louisiana think. go nine and one in the Big Twelve? No, they're middle of the pack Big Twelve team. Yeah, exactly, I think they would have been better at certain parts, depending on when you catch a tech, when you catch a. But I, but I also think that like if you catch a tech at a wrong day, they beat those teams. Well, yeah, and that's like it, yeah, it's just just like when TCU jumps up. TCU was fine this year. Jumps up and beat Texas. Yeah, you know, yep. uh, Kansas State jumps up and beats Oklahoma. Mm-hmm. It, that's how it goes. It happens. Like it that's happens why you have to in play college the games. football, right? Yeah. But when when you play Troy and you play, you know, I can't even think of all the Florida International or whoever else, like in the Sun Belt. Yeah. You don't go week by week and it's like, yeah, I think this team could beat us. Well, it turns out last week, Coastal Carolina, they scored the game winning touchdown with 35 seconds left against a three and five Troy team. Troy's three and five in the Sun Belt. And you want to sit here and tell me that Coastal Carolina's strength of record is so high? Like, I can I just be this will probably offend some people. I don't know if I should say it or not. How controversial do you want to be? Screw it, dude. I, let's it, go. I don't think it's that controversial. I think it's just natural. Um, this is my observation of the media after being in it for as long as I have. I think a lot of the um, national sports writers that we are talking about are, are very liberal in nature, which is fine. Uh-huh. I don't care what their political leanings are. I think it's natural for them to want the little guy to be included you know what i mean and and that i i i again i'm not even criticizing it yeah i i think it you're asking why these national writers constantly are proponents for the group of five i think it's just naturally by the way that they think and i'll also Is that say fair oh, I, oh absolutely okay, yeah, some yeah. people are going to accuse me of being no a, no I, I i get what you're saying i really think that that is partly yeah. Part of how the – because they're the same people in the NCAA tournament time that are screaming when, oh, I mean, the third-place Valley team got left out. I mean, yeah, come on. Well, and, and, let's and, be, and I get it. Like, it is unfair to them. But let's be but real, too. But it's also too, the realistic nature of the world. Those people, when their entire beat is covering college football, you want the best stories. You yes. Know? Coastal's so, like, a great story. So, like, of course story. they're going to root for Coastal. Like, of course yeah. they're going to root for Louisiana or whoever, BYU. Like, it's a good story, you know. Like, yeah. for them, that's a good story. They're like, man, I want to be able to cover uh, this story. No doubt. And No doubt. Uh, I also think that a lot of those people, and we've talked about this a lot when it comes to, like, voting on polls and voting on the Heisman and all that kind of stuff, they don't watch games. No. They that's don't why. watch games. Yeah, and that's what's driven me nuts about the national narrative about Iowa State going into this. You can tell that many people who are you, making these comments have not watched the games. You can tell the people who do and the people who don't. And, like, there are people out there who still sit there. Like, there's one thing they do on The Athletic. I love The Athletic. Like, don't get me wrong. I'm, I'm a loyal subscriber, have been for several yeah. several years. But they do this thing, like, the one through 130 or whatever, like a ranking. And, like, they still won't put Louisiana behind Iowa State because of a game that happened in September. Yeah. And I'm like, I sit there and I'm like. Yeah. It doesn't matter who you how, beat the who, rest of the way. Right. Like, have you watched the, have you watched Iowa State? Yeah. I don't know. Well, uh, unfortunately, many of them have not. Yeah. Probably. Like, we're not playing, we're not playing whatever that thing is that Reddit, like, r slash CFB Reddit does where they, uh, it's like the, like the, a game of risk with college football and you're trying to win the territories. Like, that's not how this works, you know? Like, it's not the transitive property of college football. <sighs> Take a deep breath. It's all good stuff the rest of the day, okay? 
Stansbury and I are just blowing yeah, like, off some steam. Like Nebraska and Rutgers. Nebraska and Rutgers, 3 o'clock kick, Big Ten Network. Welcome to the Big Ten, Nebraska. <laughs> All right, um, let's get into Iowa State and Oklahoma, and we'll do that momentarily. Coming up right after this, and we're going to call our friend Jay Jordan, the analyst. Coming up next here on the Cyclone Fanatic Podcast Network. Well, let's welcome him in. Well, let's welcome him in. Jay Jordan, a longtime contributor to Cyclone Fanatic, good friend of ours. Our Patreon members and uh, premium subscribers have been able to enjoy Jay's analysis leading up to games all season long. Um, you can uh, jump in for that for the 2021 season, of course, if you'd like. And uh, we welcome him now. We're, uh, we are uh, heading down to Jay's neck, neck of the woods in the uh, greater Dallas, uh, what do you call it, the Metroplex down there? Is that what it's called? What it, we- is, it is the, the Metroplex, the DFW, Dallas-Fort Worth metro area. Uh, so, uh, golly, I don't even know what the population is anymore. Eight, eight or nine million strong? What's like Arlington? Is Arl- Arlington's kind of like your Ankeny, right? I mean, it's a nice uh, place. Nice, nice uh, place. Is that where all the rich folks live? Like, where do you? How do you describe Arlington? No. <laughs> no. Arlington's uh, mid cities range. Uh, you know, it sits right there in between, directly in between the two. Arlington's a. Uh, uh, it has nice neighborhoods, uh, but it's it's pretty ordinary middle. But it just happens to be because it, I think it's equidistant between Dallas and Fort Worth, it's, it's become the attraction for all the sports teams. So you've got Six Flags, you've got all the water parks, you've got stadiums, AT&T Stadium, uh, the Rangers ballparks there. So um, it's just kind of an entertainment mecca. Down the road from there is Lone Star uh, Park where you can uh, enjoy horse racing, huh. uh, which I frequent from time to time. So. Well, um, Jay, we... As much as interesting as the geography of the greater Dallas area is, we didn't get you on here for that. We wanted to talk about Saturday's game between the Cyclones and the Sooners and a breakdown that only you can give us. Um, you you seem to be a little bit more bearish on Iowa State. Not, I don't mean that in a bad way. I think you're a little more. You've been a little more skeptical. Um, of this team throughout the season but it did seem like for you it clicked and like there was a moment where you're like okay this team's for real can you walk us through that like what what did you see from this team to, to lead you up to that point yeah that's a great question Chris and you're keying in on a lot of my previews I was bearish with this team uh, early on and I'll give you the primary reason just very succinctly is that Iowa State throughout the uh, press man coverage or combo man coverage, the match quarters type coverage we see a lot or utilized now. And either the offensive scheme struggles with it. You know, I'll date it back to, if you remember the Jacob Park, Texas game several years back. Yeah. yeah. Date, it, date it back to there where, where Texas was blitzing. They were blitzing liberally because they were playing press man on the outside and the route schemes uh, were such that they were later developing without much developing underneath or developing at levels. Therefore, we had pressure, we had forced throws, and we struggled to get receivers open. That has persisted, and we saw that early in the season here. 
saw uh, Louisiana come out and the largest factor in that losing, or not the largest special teams, uh, a little large there, but one of the largest factors with the offense bog, and that was the inability uh, of Purdy to make those throws and the receivers to uh, break open and break free from uh, man coverage. The scheme didn't help it very much either, and Iowa State has always struggled with that under, under Matt Campbell. Uh, so I wasn't sure as we played teams that had the ability at uh, in the defensive secondary to play man coverage um, and the offensive line was deemed up, uh, I wasn't sure how that offensive efficiency would come into play. If you were going to have a repeat of the Louisiana game, or if they were going to be able to make some of the necessary adjustments, and I didn't have great faith that they would. However, the evolution uh, throughout the season and where I started to click is I started is, is number one, the offensive line with Simmons coming in, with Rimsburg coming in, um, really started to click. And now Iowa State is a team that whether you're good against the run or you're not, Iowa State's going to be able to run the ball against you. Uh, they're going to find a way, not only because Brees Hall is talented, but because um, because the offensive line is talented as well. That freed up or um, allowed for some greater efficiency in the passing game, allowed or caused teams to have to play a little bit more zone. Uh, and we saw Sean Shaw come along and the passing schemes come along a a little bit more to get Brock Purdy into a more comfortable throwing position where he sees the field well. And And then the second thing that clicked is the defense went from our don't break, still is very much that, but all of a sudden we started seeing big plays get made. We started seeing opportunistic defense. Asheem Young was a huge part of that. Uh, Will McDonald, Jaquan Bailey was a beast all year. Uh, we saw Mike Rose put in one of the, maybe the best linebacker seasons we've seen out of a linebacker at Iowa State this year. And we started seeing big play defense along with efficient offense uh, and a passing game that could take a little bit of um, pressure off of Hall. And you get that. Now we've got a really, really solid mix. And Iowa State has become a very difficult out for anybody that wants to play against them. Jay, I think the thing that's really stuck out to me about what Iowa State has been able to do offensively, especially in the last you know pod of the season, is it It has seemed since like the second half of that Baylor game, Brock has been playing maybe the best that he's ever played at Iowa State. What do you, I mean, what do you attribute that to? What do you think it was that maybe changed at halftime against the, in that game against the Bears where they came right out and um, it seemed like a, a flip just, a switch just kind of flipped for, for that group? I mean, especially for Brock, I guess. Uh, yeah, it's, it's really a pretty remarkable thing. I mean, you guys are both athletes at some level, uh, have observed sports. Anybody who's played or anything, flipping a switch in the middle of the game and going from poor performance to high-level performance is not an easy thing to do mentally. Um, I, I, I so, so I don't know other than just to attribute it to Brock's uh, you know, intestinal fortitude uh, and confidence in himself. Uh, however, I will say this, that part of what I, on what I was talking about earlier, 
he got more comfortable right there at that game, a little bit before that game. He started to get comfortable with the coverages that he was seeing. But nothing makes Brock more uncomfortable than receiving the ball from center and seeing man coverage because it's just not throws that he is comfortable making. He doesn't uh, throw a hard enough ball in, uh, likes to throw with anticipation uh, into spots, uh, and though that can be it's just not something that they're they're really attuned to. However, Baylor, with the lead, played a little bit more loose, gave him some confidence, uh, gave him some angles, and he started completing some of those tougher passes. And then once you, we do know that when Brock starts to do something well, Brock continues to do things well. And when he got over the hump and started completing some of those tight passes to Charlie Kohler, Hutchinson started grabbing them. Shaw became a factor. Now all of a sudden, you've got Brock getting confidence, and he says, oh, yeah, I can do this. And he never turns, uh, turns his back on it once he gets something under his belt. And I think it may be that simple. It's the type of athlete that he is. And it took him a while this season and through the uh, other seasons to get to where he could – understood where to throw those balls, when to throw those balls, and what that coverage was, was bringing. And it just clicked all of a sudden. Um, I don't have any group on that, but I do know that, that when Brock gets something down, he gets their number. When he gets it, his number, he is one of the better players I've seen at being able to exploit it and then apply that knowledge and that success consistently. Jay, one, I, I think something that hasn't been talked about enough this year uh, is tempo. I wrote about this, but it was really early on. I've not followed up on it, but I've been studying it just a little bit leading into the Big 12 championship game. And as, as far as tempo goes, just plays per game, it's not perfect. I know there are other ways to look at it, but this is a really standard-based stat right now. Iowa State ranks 93rd in the country uh, all the way down there at 93rd in, in offensive plays per game at 68.2, considerably less than um, other years in the Matt Campbell area era. This seems deliberate to me uh, for a couple of reasons. One, um, I think Purdy's getting hit less for a lot of reasons. But two, um, you mentioned earlier, like with the defense being able to make big plays. I mean, just think about last year, like how many interceptions were dropped, how many, how bad they were on third down defense. I don't know. Th- this seems quite deliberate to me, and, I, and those inside the program have hinted it to me as well that this was going to be a change that they made this year. But how, how, how much have you noticed that in your analysis of the Cyclones this year? Oh, I think it's significant, but I think it's, and I I do think it's deliberate. I love hearing that there's support for that uh, because a big part of the Matt Campbell and and really any coach's uh, success is building an identity with your team. And the tempo that is attributable to a couple of factors. One is the uh, the shift that they use, the motion. We've seen that always from Matt Campbell, but it's more uh, deliberate. It's more uh, intricate this year. We saw some penalty problems with that early in the season. Um, it's a little bit more subtle and more sophisticated. 
So that will slow your tempo down. It's also geared towards the defense revealing their coverage, uh, the defense revealing um, perhaps uh, and taking a look at that. It also is an aid and a benefit to a younger, less experienced offensive line, uh, being able to pick up uh, on that type of stuff, but also uh, allowing the team as a whole to know what they're facing. So, so that identity that, that okay, we want, we're going to be mono mono. We're going to know what you're doing. You're going to know kind of where we are and what we're doing. And we're going to just go beat you. Um, I think has been an identity shift in the team this season. And, and tempo has something to do with that. Uh, they, they, they feel less. They, I think that this season, Coach Campbell felt less uh, overwhelmed from a talent level mismatch where a, a change in tempo may catch somebody off guard, may create a matchup or trap somebody in a matchup uh, that, that would be good for Iowa State and bad for the other team. I think they felt like they did not need that as much this year, that they could line up man-to-man and beat people as long as they were in the right positions and dictating and had some knowledge uh, with regard to what was being revealed to them scheme-wise on the other side. And I think that improved play calling. I think it improved uh, offensive line uh, being synchronous in their efforts. And, um, yeah, deliberate, identity-based tempo has been a big factor. What's been the biggest change you've seen in this in this offensive line? I mean, obviously the the personnel is completely different than what it has been in the the first. It was in the first four years with Matt Campbell, basically all new guys up there. But I mean, how have they been able? You know, when you even when you have two redshirt freshmen starting on one side, and then you got a former walk on starting at the guard spot on the other, and Sean Foster. I mean, you and me have talked about him plenty over the years. It, this is a group that I don't think we could have expected to ever be as good as what they've been uh, this season. You know, and you guys can correct me if I'm wrong, but they really started uh, gelling when Simmons entered the lineup. I think so too. Yeah, um, I, th- I think he was a major linchpin in in that. But but what you see in the offensive line, you guys, I, I wrote about it uh, previously, and you guys have heard me talk about it: fit, lock, and finish is getting those fits and locks um, at, the, at, the, at the start has always been a problem for Iowa State in the Campbell era off the ball at the snap. So you might get three or four really good ones and then you have a fifth one that gets blown up or somebody just misses. Or you get three on the front side, miss two on the back side, and you've got problem and penetration and, and the play scheme. That did not happen this year. As the offensive line evolved, what you saw was synchronous play. And that's what you see with a great offensive line or a good offensive line in a program that does it um, consistently year in and year out. They all seem to get off the ball together. They all seem to fit their blocks together. And then the play is able to develop as it is drawn because there's an initial fit and it's synchronous. And no one's getting... Uh, so even if they're not blowing somebody off the ball three yards, if everybody at the line of scrimmage is fit onto their block and you've got a back like hall behind them uh, and no one's blown up, then you've got an offensive line that's doing its job and, and you'll make yards. That's what we saw this year. Part of that is talent. 
each of these guys that have played this year, Simmons, Remsburg, Schweiger, uh, even Foster, and Foster just developed. He just bloomed this year. Um, Newell's great. Uh, when Downing was in there, and Ronald too, they all have great footwork. And I've been saying that in my recruiting uh, reviews with the Camarera, as, I, as I've written and potted about those, is that each of these guys has great footwork. And that footwork is what is required to get you, get you into position to make your initial fit and then lock and drive. And that's what each of these guys brings to the table. Uh, you can see it in their high school film. You can see it now as it develops here. So we've got the type of athletes on the offensive line that they've not had before. And uh, they're all young um, as, as well, which is, is a great sign for the future. But, but yes, that athleticism along with um, the initial ability to work and get five guys making their blocks uh, at the initial outset off the ball has made all the difference in, in the play of this offensive launch. All right, Jay, let's get down to it. Uh, Cyclones and the Sooners, round two. Uh, the first football game was, was really good, but it was so early in the season, it's just too hard to draw too many uh, conclusions from that, in my opinion. I think both teams are a lot better uh, than they were then. Um, what? How do you see this playing out? What are you concerned with? What do you like for Iowa State? Give us your rundown. I'm not concerned about much in this game. And I'm going to give all the credit to our colleague, Jeff Woody, uh, for putting in the time and effort and then us having one of our uh, conversations in the nursery um, about it. But if you go back to the initial Oklahoma game, even early in the season, Iowa State beat itself over and over and over again with penalties and dumb plays. Uh, Oklahoma didn't really stop us. And uh, that game was close, but only because Iowa State's mistakes allowed it to be close. Um, has Oklahoma gotten better since then? Yeah, you put Ronnie Perkins on the defense, you're going to get better. Uh, Rattler settled down some. But my reference point for this game is the last time out. Uh, did you guys get to watch that or have you watched it in the interim? Yeah, I have. I've watched the game like four times. I'm insane. Okay. Well, that's how I get my daughter to sleep. Welcome. <laughs> uh, well, if you watch that game, Chris, that wasn't an easy win for Oklahoma. Oklahoma didn't look like this an improved, resurgent team. No, that that they're saying. I I think too. Jay, yeah, let, let me ask you this real quick. As a former player, I I think that they actually. I think it was an easy take to go, oh, they lucked out not having to play West Virginia. They get more time to prepare. I actually disagree with that. They looked in that Baylor game rusty. It looked like a team that had had a long way off. I actually think they needed some more time out on the football field. What do you think about that take? Chris, I love it because you're right. If you look at most of the games down the country, teams that had extra delayed uh, games uh, or an extra week or two uh, because of delays or cancellations. Um, I mean, we don't have to look any further than Oklahoma State and Baylor and some of the struggles they had in actually getting a game played. It creates rustiness. It doesn't. You don't get the chance to get into a rhythm, and rhythm is very, very important for football teams, especially offensively. And I couldn't agree more. It's. I don't think that it's a. Okay, guys are rested, but guys are rusty. Guys haven't been at tempo 
no matter what you do, you cannot you cannot simulate the tempo of a game in practice. You can get close. You can you can practice strong, but with today's rules and the way things work and in today's current environment, uh, you can't bring uh, game time tempo to your practice sessions. Therefore, if you're stuck practicing three weeks without any game time tempo, things are going to look different when you hit the field. And you might be able to gain that or get it back within a quarter or two of play, but you're going to have some um, some problems with that. So I think that that's been seen. I don't think that the extra time has been advantage for teams when they've been afforded it. So I would agree with you wholeheartedly that, that Oklahoma looked a bit rusty in the game against Baylor, and I I expect some rust in this game, the game or not. What about the the whole aspect of Oklahoma's played in this stadium so many times? I mean, could that maybe equal out the rust? Eh, uh, full house, but it's not. It's <laughs> it's just different. And uh, I've wondered this season as I've watched games if just the silent nature, the, the either no crowd or a small crowd, if that hasn't affected the way come out and gotten off to a start, if that hasn't affected home field advantage um, as we've as we've watched games, so and I don't. I mean, yeah, it's a big place. You guys have been there. It's pretty neat uh, and can be intimidating, but I don't. I just don't put a whole lot of, of weight in that, and certainly not on a Matt Campbell-led team and the way that this Iowa State team seems to be about its business these days. James. But I want to jump back. Go ahead. Oh no, go ahead. I, I you finish up what you're going to say. Uh, I just wanted to jump back to that Baylor game real quick. Baylor gave Iowa State all kinds of problems too, and Baylor gave problems to people they played. So it's it's not no shame on Oklahoma that that Baylor gave them trouble in that game. But how they gave them trouble, I thought, was really important. Is is Baylor got pressure on Rattler? Now, we saw Iowa State get pressure on Rattler in their game, uh, but they were unable to finish. They were a step away uh, from making a lot of really good dominant plays. But uh, Baylor finished it. Baylor did that with four uh, four rushers, and which Iowa State does a lot, but Iowa State's been able to get pressure with three uh, this season. I think they might switch and use some of what Baylor used in that game to slow down Oklahoma, which was they would basically unbalance their pressure package. They would bring bring three on one side and leave one in the, in the second uh, second level defender on the other side, based on some tendency that they were seeing that they when they would bring three uh, on an unbalanced kind of three guys through two gaps. Uh, they would get home, and they would finish the play, and it caused Oklahoma problems. That's something Iowa State can do better than Baylor. And so it'll be very interesting to see if the professor dials into that and uses some of that um, against Oklahoma. And because of that, I'm, I'm just not sure that Oklahoma is playing at such a level as people would, would think, uh, would have you think. And 
if you take that approach, then you're also taking the approach that Iowa State hasn't improved and that Iowa State isn't playing at a high level. And I'm telling you, Iowa State has dialed in. The score is proven. And those are the same teams Oklahoma played against. Oklahoma's wins against those teams are no better than what Iowa State's were. And uh, I think you're looking at two two programs that are kind of at the same place right now. Definitely. All right, this is the last thing that I, I want to ask you. Jay's I, making me really feel good about this I, game. I was I was gonna say, you, well, you started bringing up the, prof- the professor, yeah. and I got a little yeah. uh, I, I got a little lightheaded. A little leg plant emoji. Yeah. Well, I was just gonna say, Jay, is it just me, or does every time that you watch uh, Will McDonald rush the passer, does uh, does it move a little bit? Because it does for me. <laughs> Jeez. Every time I watch what? I watch Will McDonald rush the passer. Jeez. Oh my god. Yeah, and then I get full-on rock mode when I watch Jaquan Bailey on the other side and then he runs around and on the line. <laughs> Those, three dudes. Those three dudes have been great. I mean, they're not just good. We thought they would be good, right? But they have been great, and they're, they're virtually unblockable. Because you watch, uh, you watch Will come off, uh, McDonald come off the, the edge fast, and then you watch uh, Jaquan uh, fold under and yeah, all of a sudden we've got pressure with three. It's crazy because, and then the other guy they got to got to contain is three hundred and ten pounds, so um, and can run. Do you think they get so pressure I, with three on Saturday because they they struggled a little bit to do so in that first outing? Um, maybe it depends on how they choose to play it. So if Oklahoma comes out and they and Stevenson gets rips some runs on either some delayed runs or they they catch them at the the DT counter, um, then I, I think they'll they'll lay back a little bit uh, and not bring that pressure with three. They'll, they'll put the players in or, or, or dial those guys back a little bit. But I think you're going to see pressure with four. I think you're going to see some uh, creative blitz packages, uh, and I think they get home. In fact, I think that's the factor. That that's the winning factor for Iowa State is their ability to create create uh, consistent pressure. Up front. So you're picking Iowa State to win. I am. I think it's a ten point game. Wow. Whoa! I love it. I love it. Man, they gave the professor too much time. Gave him too much time to sit around and and watch the Sooner offense. That's what I. That's what I say. You know. So here's an interesting thing: is is the initial game plan will be very interesting to watch. Will they come out and play defense fairly vanilla? That's what they usually or, do, and then make adjustments. Yeah, that, that's that's our usual pattern. Or will they have something dialed up and try to make Oklahoma adjust to them uh, early on? I'm not sure which or which is going to be the better approach, but it'll be a very interesting dynamic uh, on whether or not they get down early and have to come back or they jump out and try to hang on. Jay, thanks for your time. We will, um, we will see you soon. Uh, yes, uh, we'll see you soon and look forward to being with Cyclone Nation once again. Thanks, my friend. Talk soon. All right, Jordan, here on the Cyclone Fanatic Podcast Network. Picks Iowa State by 10. Jay's always like the kind of the classic cold water he throws on everybody. Yeah. That's kind of his role. Um, Very bullish. All over Iowa State. Yeah. Iowa State. That, uh, to hear that, that makes me 
makes me excited. Makes me excited. Should make you excited. Because Jay is always the contrarian. Yeah. In the picks. Uh, I'm going to pick Texas. Yeah. Uh, I'm going to pick Oklahoma State. Yeah. Uh, he's a smart guy, and we're we're lucky to be able to call him up like that and, and get some analysis. That was that was really good stuff. Let's um, let's take a really quick time out here, and uh, come back and do a quick hit on tonight's basketball game. Sounds good. Shall we? He's Jared Stansberry. I'm Chris Williams here on the Cyclone Fanatic Podcast Network, a special edition uh, postseason podcast for you. Uh, as always, we are presented by our friends at the Iowa Clinic, Wild Rose Casino, the draft book, the DraftKings Sportsbook at Wild Rose Casino, Graphite Construction Group, and also Fairway Groceries. All right, we'll be back right after this. All right, welcome back. Uh, let's do a really quick hit on basketball. Uh, coming up tonight, Iowa State at West Virginia. Cyclones are double-digit underdogs once again. Uh, Jared, this is more you. I, I've given some thoughts. I thought you had a really good column after the game the other night. I, I guess, you know, my expectations were, were really low for this team. I didn't think they'd be as bad as they have been so far. Um I think tonight's a total bloodbath. I hope yeah. I'm wrong. This I, I don't know if there could be a worse game for Iowa State to get right now. I'd rather go into Fog Allen and play Kansas than going and seeing Bob Huggins at this point in the season. Yeah, I mean, I think the only other one that would probably be even comparable would be Texas Tech. Correct. Uh, with, just in the sense that – actually, I wouldn't want to play Baylor right now either, but that's – I don't for, ever want to play for, them. Yeah, it's for different – except I do like to see Scott Drew. Uh, but – I just think when you look at what this team's problems have been, and I, you know, the big one to me is just it's it's toughness. It's how hard do you want to compete? How hard do you want to get down and dirty and, you know, be the tougher guy than the guy across from you? And uh, Steve Prom talk has talked about that a lot. I've written about that a lot. And I just think that when I see what these guys have been able to do offensively, if they're going to win, that's what it's going to take, you know. And yeah. who does it better than West Virginia? Nobody. <laughs> Nobody. I mean, that's exactly what they are. Like yeah. they, They're going to come out and punch you in the mouth. And if you don't come back and punch them back, then you're going to be in trouble. Yeah. And um, that's going to become a theme because you look across this league, that's what everybody does now. Like, it's not what it was. It's totally different. It's a really good point. It's not what it was six years ago. Yeah. Where – you go out there and everybody tries to put up 80, you know? Like, these, it, these games like, are in the 60s. It's kind of like the Big East, the old Big East. Yeah, it's similar, yeah. A little bit. I but mean, it, it's just where... Grittier-type dudes. And when Kansas State can come out and, and beat you up with three true freshmen in the starting lineup, like, that's not good, you yeah. know? And that's where it, I just think that a, a switch has to flip for this team where they come out and they're they make a commitment to being tough, you know, and I don't know how you do that. Like that's it, to an extent, that's a personality thing. Well, that that's also why I, I've been saying, and, and I, and I do mean this, I'm not like, I'll really judge this team more in February than I do now. Yeah. But man, a lot got, a lot got taken out of my sales on Tuesday though. Yeah. I thought they would win that game by 10. I, 
I think if, yeah, I I did too. Like I'm I'm not because gonna lie. They, but. Even in a thirty point loss, showed some glimpses at Iowa where I was like, "There's some talent there." I think that there is talent there. Yeah, but getting it to it's getting it to play the way that it needs to. And yes. again, like I, and and I, it comes to the fact that like, because these teams are so good in the Big Twelve defensively. You have to be really good on offense, you know? Yeah, which this team could be good, but I don't know about really good. Right. Yeah. And that's where unless you're going to defend at the same level that they are, you're going to get ran out of the gym. And if it hadn't been for them kind of getting into desperation mode and, you know, K-State kind of going crazy in the second half, they get ran out of the, their own gym by a, the team that everybody thought was going to – by a team that lost to a D2 team the week before. And that's where it's just it, – this is – and I, I told you this two weeks ago. I mean, I think I told you this after South Dakota State, that there were things that I was seeing that were concerning to me. And it's and I know that rebounding margin is is not a good statistic, but, like, just watch the way they rebound. That's what's – it's a problem. They, they don't rebound effectively because they don't go and get the ball. And that's where when you, you see a situation where it's like – when I talk about <laughs> that, competing – That's a problem. <laughs> Well, and I and I know it sounds ridiculous, like, and I get that, but like, but that's what I'm because saying. Because they don't go get the ball. No, that's a problem. And that's why they. That's why they're so often, even when they do get their hands on on the ball on a on a defensive rebound, it doesn't end up in that guy's hands. It gets either tipped away, and then they somehow will get it back because yeah. it gets knocked out by the other team, or a guard will come in and corral it. Hopefully, like, they shock us tonight, right? Yeah, I mean, I guess they could. I, I hope so. But like, I just there has to be some pretty major changes with this team right now because it's it's not going to work moving forward. I would tend to agree. Hopefully, they shock us tonight. That's I think that's the best way to leave it. So we'll have that. Uh, Rob Gray will be all over that thing for you. Uh, Connor Ferguson is in Hilton tonight. As the Iowa State women will tip off their season in the Big Twelve. Well, they played a Big Twelve game. Oh, yeah, I called that game. They played TCU. Glad you remember there. Man, I don't remember much <laughs> at all from the last, like, three weeks. It's just been, like, blah, blah, blah. But it's all good stuff. Connor will be in Hilton tonight, so we will have coverage of everything. And then we start bright and early tomorrow. Uh, you can listen to our KXNO show on uh, 8 o'clock tomorrow morning. On 1460 KXNO and 106.3 FM. We will also have all of our uh, social media stuff from the halftime show to the pregame show. The pregame show is probably already up, or it may not be. It depends on when you're listening to this. But really appreciate all of you guys joining us from Dallas. So with that, uh, let's go get a win coming up tomorrow. And uh, for Jared Stansbury, my name's Chris Williams, signing off here on the Cyclone Fanatic Podcast Network.